0: Geek Bill Radio. Hello once again, all you fellow geeks and geekettes. This is Seth, a.k.a. Xandrax, the mayor of Geek Bill and the host of Geek Bill Radio. Second show in as many days here, and... The last show, I did catch you up on my exploits at C2E2, and we're going to talk C2E2 a little bit more here, because I do have my usual co-host in crime here to talk to the news of the week, Crazy Train Jonathan Bullock. Train, how are you? Uh, all aboard, ladies and gentlemen. Not doing bad. I'm kind of interested to hear some of this talk from C2E2. So. Yeah, that'll be the last segment of the show, but we're going to cover some news early on here, and without further ado, let's get to some big news topics. This Week in News Well, we talked about in our last episode we did together, episode 225, that James Gunn had been rehired to direct Guardians of the Galaxy, and since that broke out, we did get the return of another rumor, because about this time last year, there was a rumor floating around. Actually, it's more than a rumor. I mean, there was a picture of them on his own Twitter. And when I mean his, I mean Mark Hamill. There was a picture that Mark Hamill pointed on his Twitter where he was meeting with James Gunn. So it kind of floated the speculation, are we going to get Mark Hamill in Guardians 3? And since Gunn got rehired, those rumors have resurfaced. And I did put up a post about that at geekvilleradio.com. And there will be a link to that post in the show notes for this episode, com slash 227, just like the Marley Great Television show. TV show. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which also had, uh, I forget her K-Gang. name now. It was it was Olivia from uh, Sesame Street was on that as well. It kind of blew my mind a little bit. Yes. But anyway, uh, Mark Hamill will, at least allegedly at this point, is in negotiations about playing a part in Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Now, we'll kind of go by the post that I wrote this up because the rumor is that Hamill would be playing a character that has to do with creating rocket and just going by characters that are in the guardians of the galaxy comic. I think there's a couple characters that could fit that description. I mean, do you think that's, that's safe to say there train? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, now for those who didn't read the classic comics, rocket, doesn't really have a specific creator. You know, the the planet that he comes from is called Half World, and he did have a limited series in eighty five, I want to say, it was eighty five or eighty six, that mm-hmm. was more or less his origin. And right. in short, he came from a planet called Half World, where animals were genetically enhanced by these robotic users, so perhaps we could get a voice there from Mark. And after becoming sentient, essentially, he became a law officer for the Keystone Quadrant, which makes him a police officer, effectively, in the Keystone Quadrant, which literally makes him a Keystone cop. You know, this is the type of you know, humor that, you know, we actually... James gun embraces. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Now, it gets Fully even cra- embraces. Yeah, it gets even a little crazier than that. At the time, before Groot, his counterpart was named Walrus. Yes, a talking Walrus. And he... Had actually gotten on the bad end of a character called Lord Divine, and he battled with Black Jack O'Hare and his Black Bunny Brigade. Yes, a mercenary group of bunnies. So, I don't know between <laughs> those names there. If I was putting my money on what role would fit Mark Hamill the most, my money's on the uh, mercenary bunny. I mean, I don't, I don't know if he had any preference in those. <laughs>
1: Uh, well, uh, that would d- definitely be entertaining. I think, uh, my, my take is going to be, I don't know if they're going to do robots so much. Uh, I just, I don't know. I don't think they will. I think we're going to see my personal opinion is that we're going to see some kind of, you know, group of scientists, mad scientists doing these crazy experiments that create creatures like rocket. And I can mm-hmm. see Mark Hamill in the role of, uh, you know, Somewhere in between the classic take of Victor Frankenstein and Gene Wilder's take. (laughs) Somewhere in between there would be Mm -hmm. fitting for the character that would create Rocket. But um, I I don't know. If they want to do voice, we know that he's good at voice work. So he's Mm -hmm. he's been as good and as successful at that as he has in his live action stuff. So maybe you're right. They'll go with the voice actor thing. I, I do know I'm not surprised because... I mean, many of us have joked, we've, heck, we've joked here on the podcast before that the first Guardians of the Galaxy was probably the best Star Wars movie since Return of the Jedi. Right. So <laughs> uh, it only makes sense he you'd want to cast Luke Skywalker, right? <laughs> I mean, right, I, right. And, and I think James Gunn, we've, we've discussed this before. I think, you know, he's, he, he's like Kevin Smith. He's one of us. He is a geek. Mark Hamill is one of us. Um, so the idea that Gunn would be uh, influenced by star Wars, have a fandom of the work of Mark Hamill is not shocking. And to know that Mark Hamill would be interested in doing something like this is not shocking either. And that is obviously any up, uh, any actor would probably want to jump on the MCU train at this point. Cause it's so successful, but I think right. for Mark Hamill even more so, cause he is truly a comic book geek. So yeah,
0: yeah, I I believe that now see, most geeks know of his ability to play villains. You know, obviously the Joker is probably the biggest Mm -hmm. part of that, but one of the things that jumped out at me for Mark playing a villain, it was from a movie he did a few years ago called uh, sushi girl. And I remember hearing Mm -hmm. the story of people going to see that movie and they heard Mark Hamill was in it. And then at the end of the movie, while the credits are rolling, they turn to each other, go, where was Mark Hamill? And Mark heard that story. And he's like, well, Mission accomplished, you know, in that entire movie. And you didn't notice it was him. But there's a specific scene in that movie that I think would completely nail the type of character you're talking about. You know, that kind of mad scientist that has his own warped way of doing things. And that's that he picks up a, uh, I I think it's like uh, the the kind of knitting pins, whatever you use when you're, you know, like knitting a scarf. Yeah, like needles. Yeah. Right. And and a uh, small hammer. And he's got the smile on his face. and He's like what are you going to do? And he looks at him and goes, acupuncture. You
1: know? <laughs> <laughs> Laurie Strode stuck one to the side of Michael Myers' neck. Why not? Right? I mean, <laughs> Right,
0: right, right. Exactly. It's so
1: it, we, It's not like we haven't seen he used as an effective weapon on film, on screen before. So, you know, uh, but anyway, right. I just, I think, I, I think at this point in his career, uh, notwithstanding The Last Jedi, I think Mark's more interested in doing villains at this point. That's just, this just my, my opinion, you know, based on, You know, seeing him at cons, listening to interviews, he's not the the bright eyed, California, blue eyed, blonde haired kid he was when he played Mark Hamill, when he played Luke Skywalker in New Hope. He's aged. Mm -hmm. He had the car wreck that affected him, you know, uh, physically speaking, his looks. So um, I think he I I just think he's more comfortable playing villains at this point. What say you on that?
0: Yeah, I I think so. And there is always the adage. How great is a hero? You know, a hero is only as great as the villains he beats. Right, exactly. So, I mean, it, it's.
1: Um, I, I, I look forward to it. I, I, there's been very few things Mark Hamill has done that has has let me down. And um, if you if you doubt Mark Hamill's ability to play a villain, don't doubt James Gunn's ability to get people that are perceived as heroes to be good villains. Uh, he did it with Kurt Russell as Ego in mm-hmm. the Last Guardians.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, can you think of was, any uh, other role except for arguably Grindhouse where Kurt Russell was a villain? Yeah. Uh,
1: well, Snake Plissken, but Snake's really an antihero. Yeah, he's, he's an not. Anti-hero. Snake's yeah. not a he, he's not a bad guy. He's the he's the protagonist of the of that of, of those movies. You know, I mean, sometimes he's silly, like Jack Burton, you know, Big Trouble, Little China. But for the most part, he's he's either plays leading men or he plays historical figures. You know, like Miracle, like Tombstone, but even in those, he's the good guy, right? Mm-hmm. He's 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 an honorable person, and I, I don't think Ego was dishonorable the way they the way he portrayed him, the way James Gunn directed him. He's just beyond what we understand because he's a freaking planet, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, so so if he can make Kurt Russell into a believable bad guy. Pretty sure he could do the same thing if you're not 100% sold on Mark Campbell? I say, if you're not sold, then you obviously didn't watch Batman, the animated
0: series, but I digress. Yeah. Um, or, or the flash series from or the nineties. Uh, you
1: know? any, anybody who can make Twizzlers creepy, you
0: know? Right. Uh, <laughs> right. Now, the other piece of news that hit this week is actually on the DC side of things. And that's that Emily Bett Ricards put it out there pretty much in advance that She is leaving Arrow. And on top of that, she is also apparently not going to be in the abbreviated season eight at all. And I do see friends of mine that are upset at this. I even made the joke on Facebook that, you know, there's a great disturbance in the forest. It's just millions of Elicity shippers suddenly cried out in terror, you know. (laughs) And, uh, you know, these things do happen. And obviously the character of Felicity smoke is not really prevalent in the comics. You have to go all the way back to the eighties to find her. And she's not
1: even depicted properly. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the comics, she's much older than Oliver and she owns a, a computer, like a, a radio shack type store, a computer hardware store.
0: Right. She's basically uh, firestorm's mother you know, in the eighties.
1: Right. Yeah. She's old enough to be Ollie's mom or at least an aunt, you know, mm-hmm. uh, not, not his love interest. His love interest has always been Black Canary.
0: Exactly. Which, yeah.
1: You know, makes me wonder if with them shipping her out in the abbreviated season we get, do they do they send it off right and it ends with Oliver being with a Lance?
0: Mm-hmm. Possibly. I think that might be part of the reason why they kept Katie Cassidy on even after killing off her Earth's Laurel. I mean, they may be leaving it open for that to happen again because we already know that Earth Two Laurel. Ali was the love of her life, so you know it would make sense if they went that route.
1: Yeah, she stated that in 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 the show. So, you know, as much as I love Emily Beth Rickards, she's I think she's smokingly hot. And I'm not usually one for blondes. And I just think she's gorgeous. And Mm -hmm. I like I like how she portrays the role. And I am not one of these shippers, but I actually like Oliver and her together. I I have no problems with it. I, I but as a comic book guy and a fan of Green Arrow, just something doesn't seem right if Oliver and Dinah Lance aren't together. Right. I'm sure you can understand that. You're a comic book guy too.
0: Yeah. I, I couldn't help but notice you said she was smoking hot.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> thank you folks. I'll be, I'll be here all week, but you know, I mean, it's, it's um the other thing too. And I don't know, we'll find this out as time goes on. <clears throat> I've noticed a lot of um, actors, actresses that we like, when one show ends, they're quickly on another. I mean, one that's coming to mind right away is um is is another one of my, you know, unrequited loves, Haley Atwell. As soon as as soon as Agent Carter got canceled, she had that short live series on ABC that she went right into.
0: Right, right. Conviction.
1: Yeah, conviction. It's quite possible that Emily as a working actress has something else lined up and just asks the showrunners they want to start, you know. Now I I can't be on two shows at one time. So can we write my character out so I can start in the fall season? You see what I'm saying?
0: Right, right. It's not an uncommon occurrence at all, really, in Hollywood that an actor may give their notice on one show to join another. I mean, uh, two examples were both actually in NCIS uh, with George Eads. He is now kind of the sidekick in the new MacGyver. And also, Michael Weatherly, he left NCIS and is now the lead in the show Bull. So, By his own show. Right, right. So it's very possible that may be what, what happened that uh, Emily's just uh, leaving for another show. So, you know. Right. The other thing that I think this might be relevant to is this uh, season, they've effectively, instead of doing flashbacks for Arrow, they've been doing flash forwards with an adult mm-hmm. with William and an adult or middle-aged Arsenal, and they very much established that Felicity's dead in this future. So, right. so maybe, you know, she put two and two together and like, okay, well, if I'm gonna die then, you know, do I really <laughs> be around for the next season? And of course there's always the argument that the future can be changed. That's one of the things that I think could happen where they kill off Ollie in season eight but yet they still had that episode in like 2060 or something like that in mm-hmm. Legends of Tomorrow where they deal with a senior citizen, alley. So, you know, future can be changed, you know. And you can bring people back. Colton Hayes, who plays Roy, plays Arsenal. He left for
1: what, two or three seasons and then came back for this season? Right. You know, I mean, when he left, I was sad. I'm, I'm a big fan of Roy Harper, at least at least the comic book arc. And I, I didn't mind mm-hmm. what they were doing with him on the show, but I get it. He's a good looking young actor. You don't want to get stuck in a rut, you know, and he's not even the lead guy on the show.
0: So. Right. Right. Absolutely. So now, was there anything else in the news that uh, hit you, train that you want to talk about at the moment here? Or? No. No,
1: I mean, no. It, it, you shocked me. I hadn't heard I hadn't heard the news yet about Emily, which I mean, you know, I'm a big I'm a big fan of her. So uh, I'm sad to see her, but I'm sad to see Arrow as a whole go. So, you know, mm-hmm. oh, well, I'm just getting to get maybe, you know, eight, ten episodes before I expected with her. That's all.
0: Right. Right. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to dive into some c2e2 talk some of it we saw coming and we talked about it in previous episodes and we'll also talk some batman because there was some news there not really news but an opinion given that i definitely think uh, we kind of i feel like we could pat ourselves on the back for uh, bringing up <laughs> and, but we'll get to that when it's time so this is geekville radio and we'll be right back
1: Are you looking for a gaming-themed podcast? Then check out You Just Got Fragged. Join host Jared Aubrey and his panel of gaming enthusiasts as they discuss news and accomplishments in the gaming world and, of course, the gripe of the week. That's all at YouJustGotFragged.com, part of the Wrestling Brethren podcast family.
0: All right, we're back. Now, one thing we mentioned a couple episodes ago was the probability of... Disney recasting the X-Men and how we both kind of thought it was common sense to do so. And it was confirmed essentially for those that didn't already know at C2E2 that that is indeed what Disney is going to do. And they did say that it appears Deadpool will still be played by Ryan Reynolds. And I thought it was kind of funny because our our friend Norco from the Wrestling Brethren podcast he actually had talked about that online on Facebook and through the wonders of autocorrect, somehow (laughs) um, his statement was autocorrected into saying Deadpool will still be played by Ryan Rembrandt. It, you know, autocorrected Reynolds into Rembrandt. So I'm like, Oh, I'm I'm anxious to see this Ryan Rembrandt as, as Deadpool. So I think it's worth mentioning that, that we did see that coming. Now, like I said, I don't claim to be a genius or anything like that, but I think you'd agree that it's pretty much common sense to. Did, yeah, that, d- right. didn't
1: I stake like like a, a large chunk of money on on that <laughs> last right. time we discussed this? It's like that's the one guy you can't really replace. Um, and and you know, look, I I'm not as over over excited about some of the casting choices. Uh, from the the Fox run with the X Men, but some of them I really like, and I hate to see them go. I mean, I I I like James McAvoy, but I really liked Patrick Stewart as Mm -hmm. an older Xavier. I think one that doesn't get talked about enough. I loved Kelsey Grammer as Hank McCoy.
0: Yeah, perfect role Um, for him.
1: I thought he was great in that. Um, I I, we all loved Hugh Jackman. I'm duh, that's a no brainer, right? Mm -hmm. Um. It's. I don't think Michael Fassbender and Ian McKellen were equally good as Magneto, both young and old. Mm-hmm. So it's not like. I mean, but then again, I'm not quite sure Anna Paquin was right for Rogue. I think Halle Berry is absolutely gorgeous, but not sure she was right for Storm. So I mean, I'm not. I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. Right. Uh, and, it it's, it happens all the time.
0: Yeah, I think Anna Paquin was good for. The depiction of rogue that they were trying to do. It it seems to me like maybe at that time, Brian Singer might have been hesitant. And this is my speculation, nothing more. I think that Brian Singer may have been a little hesitant to depict a rogue that could, you know, juggle battleships around, you know, that might have not worked too well at the time. Now you can do it, obviously, but the soul or heart of the rogue character, we talk about this every so often about characteristics that are key to Rogue and it was explored in X-Men 3 where the invention of this mutant gene, you know, this like mutant cure, and she's all for like it. Or vaccine almost. Right, exactly. And I think that is something that is integral to the rogue character that mm-hmm. even though she could juggle battleships, anybody she touches she potentially could kill. And Rogue, I do believe even with all those immense powers that she got from Captain Marvel, which should be pretty interesting. Hopefully they show that in the the movies, but uh, (laughs) if she could, you know, take that mutant killing vaccine and just become a normal person, I think she'd do it. I do too. I think, you know, people who don't understand uh, rogue, I'm
1: not saying she has Frank Castle levels of PTSD, but she, she does suffer from PTSD. And I'm saying that as a mental health professional, because mm-hmm. the way she discovered her powers was she essentially almost killed her, you know, little boyfriend when she was, what, like 14? The first – her first kiss. Right. She almost killed him. Mm-hmm. That's when – because, you know, if you, if you follow the Marvel, the comics, uh, some individuals' mutant abilities will, will uh, you know, display at birth. But, but most peoples do not display until puberty. So uh, that's when hers started to display you know, think about when you were 13, 14 years old, you had your first French kiss, male or female, doesn't matter. You know, this, doesn't matter your sexual orientation, your gender. That's a pretty significant experience for any human being. And you almost kill the person you do it to because of some power you have no control over. Yeah, that's going to scar you a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And, and, and so then from that point on, you have to look forward to what the the, the trajectory and mental state of Rogue is going to be. Uh, so the idea that I don't have to have this, yeah, she'd jump on it, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, a, it, it's a different take on the whole Uncle Ben, you know, great power, great responsibility. I, I think Rogue understands she has great power, and Rogue is essentially a hero and a good guy because she wants to use that power to the best of her abilities uh, to help others. But if, if if everything was equal and she didn't have to have that responsibility – she'd not She'd gladly get rid of the power to not have the responsibility. I, I think you understand what I'm
0: saying. Right, absolutely. And I think it's also pretty much common sense or, you know, natural expectation that we're probably still a few years away from the oh, Disney yeah. X-Men movie because when Disney bought Marvel in the first place, remember the MCU started out as a deal with Paramount. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, Disney was able to work through that, and we didn't get the first Disney, quote-unquote, MCU movie until I think it was the first Avengers film. I think that was the, one, right. the first one that actually had the Disney name attached to it. Right. And we also heard that Avengers Endgame may be the final Stan Lee cameo, because obviously it was the one that was, was made the most recent. And with that did come a rumor, just a rumor, I think it would work given the character, but allegedly there's a proposition that in the wake of Stan Lee cameos, all the MCU movies will have a Deadpool cameo. Obviously, they would have to keep it clean, but mm-hmm. I think <laughs> that would work because it fits with the Deadpool character.
1: Right, I can't, and I don't know of anybody else you could, you could do it with. I mean, I guess you could do it with Kevin Feige, but do mm-hmm. people recognize Kevin Feige? I mean, obviously those of us who watch like Comic-Con and know he's on these panels, what he looks like. But, you know, and, 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 and Kevin Feige just didn't have the gravitas, I think, mm. that um, Stan Lee had, at least to even, you know, non, non-comic non book fans. Uh, we, we, in our tribute to Stan, we talked about that. Stan was comics to some people, people that aren't comic book readers. Stan Lee represented comic books. He was just, you know, that's what it was. So, right. Uh, case in point, go back to the original Tim Burton, 1989 Batman. There is the illustrator at the newspaper that um, the Richard Wolf character uh, works at, the one that Vicki Vale works at. And he jokingly draws a picture of an of, 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 you know, anthropomorphic bat wearing a suit. And he, and he jokes and he goes, this is what your Batman looks like. If you pay close attention to that, the signature is Bob Kane. And it's the actual real signature of Bob Kane, like the way he would sign the old Batman comics. Um I, I don't know if that character was supposed to be Bob Kane or, or whatever is, but that's one of those little details. As important as Bob Kane is, he's the guy who created one of the guys who created Batman. Only a super comic book geek was going to catch that. But Stan Lee, even non-comic book geeks are going to catch him. So, And I, and I can't think of anybody else. I, I I think you understand what I'm trying to say there, do you? Yeah, yeah.
0: I don't think you could do it with another real-life person and have it work. So doing it with right. a known fictional character and Deadpool's whole shtick is kind of a breaking of the fourth wall. You know, I think right. you could get away with it. I know I said uh, they should limit the Deadpool involvement, at least in the Avengers proper... Films, Whatever the phase four right. Avengers movie is. But I think occasionally for a cameo, like, you know, somebody walks by the camera and there's, you know, somebody sitting on a park bench or something like that. And then that person mm-hmm. looks at the camera, then pe- peels up the fake face mask that he's wearing and it's Deadpool. And he, you know, does the, the hush, you know, finger to the lips and then puts the, the mask back down. Something like that you right. get away yeah. with, you know.
1: The only other thing I could think they could do, and this would have to be more serious than the comedic thing that the Stanley—well, not not all Stanley cameos are comedic. Some of them you blink and you miss them. Some right. of them are hard to catch. Like you know, we took us a while for us to catch the cameo in, in the in the in the Luke Cage Netflix series. He was actually a picture of a cop on the wall, you know, in the mm-hmm. precinct. Uh, so, but you know, the only other thing I could think you could do, and they've kind of already done it and established it with Stanley, is Uatu. You know, maybe have a lot make an appearance every every movie, maybe right. not for comedic effect, but just chronicling what's happening. Um, but I think if you're going to do that, you would be planting seeds for something in the future with a Galactus or with a, you know, a, a Kang or a Beyond or something like that. Wouldn't you?
0: I think so. I think it's, that's fair to say, because not everybody knows who the Watcher is or what that race does. Right. Really, the first time we saw him. Was in, I think it was uh, well, Guardians, anymore, it? I think. Two, or, yeah, two? Guardians, yeah, where he's like basically implying that he's been the same person through all his cameos in the past MCU movies.
1: Yeah, he's like, and the last time I was a FedEx man, which of course is referring to the end of uh, a Civil War, which I think was the movie that came out right before v- Volume 2, so that makes sense, you know? Right. Tony Stank, that was a great line. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Brody, I'm never forgetting that one. Thank you very much.
0: <laughs> With the acquisition of Fox by Disney, here is a list of everything that Disney now has control over. Obviously, they don't run the Fox News channel. You know, They, they don't really run the Fox network proper. And I don't even think they, they are running the sports stuff. It's mainly stuff for films and specific channels here's the list they got 20th century fox as in the film studio fox searchlight pictures fox 2000 pictures fox family fox animation fx productions fx network national geographic and they also got fox's stake in hulu because of course hulu is actually co-owned by several different studios so You know, we're not going to see anything happen to the Fox network, but they've eventually gained access to past programming as well as some of the specific Fox-owned cable channels.
1: Uh, Hulu's how I've been watching Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because I got behind on it. Right. And they to clear up space on my DVR. So, you know, that's just making that whole agreement a little easier now, isn't it?
0: Right, absolutely. And, of course, that may still fuel the speculation that Hulu may revive the Netflix more of a exactly. Yeah,
1: well, I I do watch a few original uh uh series on uh, Hulu, but it's actually not Hulu produced. It's um a BBC produced British show that they have the exclusive rights to uh, called Harlots to to play on Hulu. So it plays like I think on Monday nights in Britain, and then on two, every Tuesday a new one drops on Hulu. So they're essentially the distribution um. The distribution arm for this BBC show in America, much like BBC America, I guess is the same for Doctor Who. But you would know more about that. There's our Doctor Who reference
0: for this episode. <laughs> yeah, but that is true. Okay, so
1: yeah, but I think it just streamlines stuff like that. And there's there and there's already a lot of Fox stuff on Hulu as well. Uh, my 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 daughter, one of her favorite shows is Bob Bob's Burgers. She watches it on Hulu as opposed to watching it on
0: regular television. Yeah, makes sense. All right, we're going to take. One more break here and we come back. We're going to shoot the breeze more than anything since we're both Batman fans, but we're going to talk some of the questions that were asked at the Batman 80th anniversary panel at C2E2. Attention all Time Lords and ladies. Geekville Radio presents Examining the Doctor, a weekly look at everybody's favorite Time Lord, the Doctor. Join Mark and Seth as they bring their signature blend of knowledge and humor to favorite and not-so-favorite episodes of Doctor Who. From Hartnell to Capaldi, Examining the Doctor provides episode commentaries for classic and current Doctor Who fans alike. Examining the Doctor, available on iTunes, Stitcher, and at geekvilleradio.com. All right, we're back, and as promised, talking Batman at the 80th anniversary panel, there really wasn't much news there. That's why I. Asked to do this segment with you, Train, here. But some of the questions asked here, I just thought would make for good discussion. Now, to give you an idea of the people that were on the panels, there were uh, Peter J. Tomasi, uh, Christy Zullo, hope I'm saying that right, a vertical artist, Tom Richmond, mm-hmm. who did a lot of the art for Mad Magazine back in the day. I think he still does Mad Magazine artwork, actually. Uh, Jason uh, or F- Fabak, who I believe wrote Batman for a while, probably the biggest name that was there as far as geek, uh, as far as, a, yeah, that's a perfect word. Thank you. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, identity, you might say, was Mark Silvestri, who's, you know, 35 year veteran. He's one of those guys that can write and draw. And you yeah, know, he's been around forever and done everything. <laughs> right. Right. Absolutely. So. You know, I wasn't familiar with the work of everybody there, but, you know, people like uh, Silvestri and uh, Tom Richmond. you know, I'm, I'm kind of a been a big fan of both those guys for years. So right regarding the questions here, the first question off the bat was pointing out how Batman kind of was born out of the pulp crime stories. And they asked the question, do you think that element of the character is still there and of course i think yes and i think you would agree with that right
1: oh 100 i i think that no matter how futuristic they make batman at his core there's still always going to be a noir to him that's going to have that 30s 40s kind of feel you know pre-world war ii feel um no matter how technologically i mean even batman beyond i think you know when terry takes up the mantle and the cow there's still a bit of a noir feeling to that don't you think in both the comics and the television show
0: Right. Right. Absolutely. Now, what got me grinning ear to ear during this panel was the names that the creators all independently, like without asked or without... uh, Prompting? Yeah. They mentioned three characters that they considered favorites before Batman. And those names are the Shadow, the Phantom, and Green Hornet. And Wow. That's amazing. (laughs) Right, because for any of our listeners that know about our lesser-known Geek Hall of Fame podcast, well, who were three out of the first four entries into our lesser-known Geek Hall of Fame under the guys that these are the type of characters that influence heavy hitters like Batman. The first, the three out of the first four we did were (laughs) Shadow, Phantom, and Green Hornet. So Green Hornet.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. Well, I mean, we, we, we kept saying uh, when we recorded those, and please go back and listen to them if you haven't already, um, we kept patting ourselves on the back saying, look, you know, we I, I feel good to know Mark Silvestri and people of that ilk are just validating and vindicating what we said <laughs> on a podcast. So, you know, I, I'm not trying to be too arrogant or toot my own horn, uh, but uh, at the same time, when we say we're geeks, we're geeks. Okay, guys, we got cred now.
0: <laughs> right,
1: we got yeah. we got validation. So you know, I mm-hmm. I find Shadow, of course, the most fun for me personally because if you if you go back and listen to that episode, it's quite obvious I'm a big fan of the Shadow, mm-hmm. and I'm a big fan of Batman. And uh, yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's yeah.
0: yeah. Now another question that was asked. This is one of those where there's no right or wrong answer. It's just an opinion. Is there a kind, quote unquote, of Batman that you like to see the most? Because over the years, Batman, and these are my words, not theirs, but over the years, Batman has had so many different takes on the character, depending on who's writing, that you almost literally, I think you're even is somebody that did it. You could take all of those nine alignment types and put a form of Batman as an example of one of those alignments because you lawful good, neutral good, chaotic good, all that stuff. and Mm -hmm. I think that is something that you can say with Batman, certainly more so than somebody like Superman or Cap, where you can have different but still true takes on the character. Now, did you have Batman that you, like, if you think of Batman, is there a favorite kind that comes out to you?
1: Yeah. um, um, I I agree. Before I get to that, I agree with with that totally, what you're saying. One of, I think, the best ways to that, that was ever presented was the old animated show Batman uh, uh, Batman: uh, Brave and the Bold, where uh, uh, Diedrich Botter voiced Batman. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that is a little bit more campy and silly because the source material were the old 50s and 60s bold, uh, Brave and the Bold, which were team-ups of Batman with other DC characters. And they were much more kid-friendly. And that is one of the many different depictions of batman and in one of the episodes that involved batmite there was uh batmite doing what batmite does much like deadpool breaks the fourth wall and directly speaks to the viewer and says there have been many who have who have uh tried to downplay this television show because it doesn't depict the batman they like and he goes on this long exposition of if you know the history of Batman. This, along with many other takes on the character, are valid for what this character has been over his long run. And I was like going, well, that's really clever. You know, they're, they're addressing their critics right there in the show and making it part of the show. Uh, but um, with that being said, my personal take is probably um, probably the Batman uh, from the Arkham video game series. I think it's a nice amalgam of several different uh, takes, uh, specifically the one from the first game, Arkham Asylum. Um, that's probably my favorite depiction of Batman because you do have the, the great fighting skills. There's a lot of detective work in that game. Kevin Conroy voices it, which you know, you've know said you're the same as me. When you read Batman comics, you hear Kevin Conroy's voice in your head. Um, and there's a little bit of a sense of humor in there. So there's some, not a lot, but some, enough to me to believe that that you know it's there Uh, and and then after that my my favorite depiction is probably probably the animated series you know i'm fine with the silly brave the bold i'm i'm fine with with the super friends era 70s they're they there they all have their place you know just personally i like i like him dark but i don't like him super brooding does that make sense
0: yeah yeah absolutely it's funny that you brought up batmite because that was one of the next questions they had asked, which is, you know, Batman sidekicks or secondary characters. And Mark Silvestri actually said that Batmite is one of his character, his favorite characters. So that, you know, I thought it was fitting that you brought that up.
1: Yeah, and Batmite was essentially, you know, was, let's be honest, he was Batman's version of Mr. Mitsublox. Mm-hmm. You know,
0: but, um, well, what's your favorite depiction of Batman? Well, first, before I get to my favorite, I'll get to the first one. I think my first real liking of Batman was actually during the Super Friends run in the early 80s. I've said the praises before about the episode The Fear, which in a very PG, possibly even G way, they depict Batman's origin. So, what's funny Mm -hmm. about that is in those times in the early 80s, Adam West was voicing Batman for for the episodes. And obviously, a lot of people, especially people our age, maybe a little older, probably grew up on the Adam West TV show because uh even in reruns, you know, because it was in reruns for so many years, the last thing yeah, the last thing I wanted to bring up was Frank Miller's Batman, which is a lot of people's favorite. Sure.
1: Dark Knight rises, Dark Knight Returns.
0: Yeah, exactly. But what's funny to me is the way Frank Miller wrote that story is, is it was essentially the Adam West Batman coming back in modern times, if you want to call 1985 modern. And well, so it when it came out. <laughs> right. So here's three different takes on Batman that are the favorites of many, and you could say that all three kind of root back to Adam West. So,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
0: three different forms of Adam West and in three different generations, so to speak. But to answer the question, I am always happy with the Batman that uh, is the world's greatest detective by definition, and also one of the most innovative and intelligent people. I kind of like the idea with the Justice League. I think it was Grant Morrison that put it this way where he's the only non superhero character, usually in the group. Everybody else is superpowered, even Superman with essentially godlike powers. And deep down, every single one of them is afraid of Batman. The
1: human, <laughs> you know, that's that's how I like yeah, my Batman
0: yeah. stories told.
1: Right. Okay. That's that's fair enough. I think that um I we've said it before, it it was a it became a meme before memes even existed. But the because I'm Batman, it, we just as com I don't even think it's a comic book thing, I think it's just general he's such a pop icon. That's we buy that that very flimsy logic, don't we? <laughs> it's just, well, how does he get away with that? Because he's Batman. Oh, okay. I right, mean, everybody right. just buys it, you know it it it, it works. And, and for all the crazy skewed logic that is often foisted upon us as comic book readers, however far out on a limb they go with Batman, no matter who's writing them, we just buy it and do not care. That that to me, I I find that fascinating. You know that I don't think any character in, in any literature, not just comic books gets that much leeway from the fans. You know, they just, they're willing to just go along for the ride. No matter what, have you ever noticed that? Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. So, yeah, I, I, uh, I, am not, I'm not, I'm not, I, I, you know, I think I'm probably in line with you, uh, with, with the, I think that with the advent of the action movies and the video games, some of the detective stuff has gotten for forgotten, you know, but he is the world's greatest detective. Um, So uh, when they can play up that aspect, I enjoy it. I do think the animated series from the nineties did a good job at showing that. Um, so,
0: you know, yeah, it was probably the best non-comic depiction of Batman really until some of the movies came along. And right. I think another characteristic of Batman that fits and we'll wind up on this note was that Batman is not about justice. Batman is about vengeance. You know, and I think that's a, accurate depiction. Superman is probably more on the side of justice. And, right. you know, Wonder Woman is probably also on that, that end where she looks at what's right and not right. necessarily what, uh, what the uh, easiest thing to do is. I mean, am, am I explaining that right?
1: Right. No, I, I think you're right. I think that, that there's essentially a right, a left and a center when you come to these issues in comic books. And I think that, that the, the, the right would be the justice. The left would be the punish, which would be, you know, the Frank castle. And then the middle is the vengeance. And that's where Batman falls. Right, right. And I, I tend to think that most, most comic book heroes fall on the the justice side, a few fall on the punish side, but very few are skirt that middle of vengeance. Batman is one of one of, of very few, you know? Um, so, you know, it's, 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 um, and I think you need to delineate those, um, the, that characteristic, I think it, it is something that, like I said, I don't think Batman's the only one, but he is one of the few, and he's definitely the first. So you know, it's um, I I think I've I've brought it up many times here on the podcast. One of my favorite uh, the stories or, or depictions that involve Batman in the comics is from a World's Finest. Uh, I think it would have been the, the the second edition of World's Finest where he's having an argument with he bruce is having an argument with clark and clark brings up the fact that they're totally different you you I, that clark reads leads by hope and bruce leads by fear that's how they pretty much operate within their cities you know with in metropolis within gotham but then when he points out to to bruce and i think this is the key factor is that Uh, no matter how different they are, the one thing that they have in common is, is that they believe in the same thing. Nobody has to die and nobody should die. Right. And to me, um, it's always disappointing to me when a person wants to make Batman a killer. I had some issues with that as, as much as we did not hate on Batman V Superman, as much as a lot of people did, if you go back and listen to our review you 'll know that, but the fact that that Zack Snyder had him killing people that bothered me a little bit hmm. I, I, You will not find a bigger fan of Tim Burton 's take on the character from you know the the Michael Keaton films, but the fact Batman was a killer in that bothered me. you know uh, Batman is not a killer because that is the punish side of the, of the of this equation that i 'm talking about. And that is not Batman. He's right down the middle. He does not. want. I mean, let's be honest. Batman can be too pragmatic for his own good. I mean, the Joker and the Riddler and some of the some of his rogues gallery. How many times have they escaped and how many literally thousands of people have died when any other hero Marvel, DC doesn't matter all the way up to a Captain America's and and Wonder Woman's and Superman's would have said, you know what? I need to kill this person. This person needs to die and would have done it for the greater good. Batman still believes in sending him back to Arkham and trying to rehabilitate him. Think about that.
0: Yeah, I think you're right.
1: That's what makes Batman bad. I mean, come on. Uh, you know, everybody was shocked in man of steel when Superman snaps Zod's neck. That was not the first time that Superman had killed somebody. He'd done it in the comics before, you know, and he would justify it with, it was for the greater good. Batman will never cross that line. And that, to me, is what makes him unique above all other comic book characters. Yeah, yeah. That uh, Can you name one superhero from any, any comic book imprint, from DC, Marvel, Image, Dark Horse, it does not matter. Name me one other than Batman who, after being screwed by Joker as many times as they had, wouldn't finally say, you know what, I'm just going to kill the
0: son of a bitch. Mm-hmm. It was a memorable scene in uh, Hush, where where yes. Gordon talks him out of it?
1: Yeah, yeah. I like the whole take from. I can't remember if it was one of the 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 animated movies or it was from one of the comics or Batman. I think I think it was from uh, I think it was from Under the Red Hood. I think it was uh, I think it was from that from the animated movie. Where he tells he tells uh, Jason Todd a resurrected Jason Todd the reason I don't kill is because once I've crossed that line I won't be able to stop. You know I I, I kind of like that. I I, I don't know. And he, of course, he has an 80-year history to draw on. I don't know if there's a more nuanced character in all of comics, good or bad, than Batman. Uh, can you think of one? The argument's certainly there.
0: I mean, he's extremely nuanced. I mean, there's not a lot of nuance to Superman, is there? Yeah, not not really. Uh, the only other thing that I could think of is, uh, you know, recognizability, you might say.
1: Right. I mean, I guess there's some nuance to, there, to, to, to Cap, but... Um, and maybe some to Tony, but I don't think, I think you'd have to combine the two of them and then still add some on to have the nuance of Bruce Wayne. That's just my opinion,
0: you know? Yeah, it's a good way of so. putting it. All right, that's going to bring us to the end of this episode, episode 227. Once again, the show notes are at geekvilleradio.com slash 227. And if this is your first time hearing us, first of all, thank you and welcome. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, just the podcatcher or podcast player of your choosing, you've just search for Geekville Radio, you'll find us. And the website is Geekville Radio, as well as the social media, Twitter and Facebook. So Train, if anybody wants to talk to you about Batman or anything else, where can they find you?
1: I'm always available
0: on Twitter at crazytrain underscore JB. All right, we're going to wrap it up and we'll talk to you folks for episode 228, probably sooner than you know it. Geekville Radio is not sponsored or endorsed by any products or services unless specifically stated. The views expressed by the hosts and/or guests do not reflect the views of GeekvilleRadio.com, the Wrestling Brethren Podcast family, or any of their affiliates. Some media used in Geekville Radio is the product of their respective copyright holders. All rights reserved. One other thing that I noticed at the panel was: it seems the older Mark Sylvester gets, the more he starts looking like Rick Springfield. Oh, it's been a
1: hard day's not. Oh, geez, man does does he does he want to get with Jesse's girl? I, I I don't know. <laughs>